0: Jenny Martinez and Josie Martinez. Um, really excited to have you guys. These are some good friends of mine, and so we are going to talk about EMDR um, and trauma therapy and a bunch of stuff. So I think one of the goals of having you guys on is to be able to give kind of a personal touch, a real testimony. Now you guys weren't my clients, so that right. makes it easier, right? Because I don't have to like do that weird, <laughs> you know, double relationship, dual relationship thing. So uh, thank you all so much for coming in and uh, and being able to talk about it. I think one of the problems. That we have uh, that I want to kind of cover today is maybe the church's view of trauma therapy or EMDR and their fear about it and like, what are their worries and why should you do it? And what is it? And then also just general, I think the average person not knowing how things in life can affect you. I mean, I think people know it. They just don't talk about it regularly. Um, because we're scared that we're the only ones or we're uniquely yeah. broken or whatever and so your mom and daughter and I thought that was cool <laughs> and also like getting a young person's perspective I think is really important because um, and we'll talk about this later but therapy is kind of on the rise but I think there's also some still some stigma to kind of get worked right. out so um, that's why we're here so tell us kind of we'll start with Jenny, Jenny uh, you tell us who you are, what you do and uh,
1: I talk am, about batter, up, batter uh, up bake shop a little yes. bit. Yeah. I am Jenny Martinez, I am wife of one and mom of many. Um, we have five kids, Philip and I do, ages 20 down to seven. 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 Sometimes I forget that bonus baby's yeah. age. <laughs> um, so we uh, we just have a, a large family. We call ourselves the circus because my husband always says that we're just one-tenth shy of being an actual circus. Oh, yeah. Um, so I have two big kids and three little kids, so we call them the bigs and the littles. And uh, so they're kind of a little bit separated by age there, but it has worked out to really be a blessing. We were a blended family, so we have dealt with a lot of um, issues with that and just learning how to manage it. I run a um, baking business called Batter Up Bake Shop. It started out of my house about nine years ago, and the whole goal was with that business was for me to be able to stay home with the little ones when they were little and then also be home in the morning before school started and in the afternoon. That was Mm -hmm. important to me. That's what my mother had done and I believe it was a gift to us. There's seven of us kids. So it was really important for me to be able to stay home but when you have that many kids you kind of need some finances
0: too, (laughs)
1: it's expensive. (laughs) So so it just started out in my house and then kind of exploded and now I have a commercial kitchen space that I rent and um, I do uh, made-to-order baked goods and catering.
0: How did so. you start it out, like what were?
1: Cupcakes, Yeah, cupcakes and cinnamon rolls. I just kind of. Which
0: the cinnamon rolls are my favorite, yes. they're so good. You're so good. Um,
1: I did find out when I moved down south, <clears throat> I'm from the Midwest, and so when I moved down south, um, I really couldn't find a cinnamon roll that I really liked in any of the bakeries, and my mother baked all the time, and so I kind of started with that and sold them via social media and email. Um, Louisiana has a cottage food law that allows you to bake out of your home legally as long as you don't go over a certain amount of sales a year so as long as you have all your ducks in a row and you file your taxes and do all that you can safely do it out of your home which is a blessing and I think could be more utilized uh, in the community for mm-hmm. other moms because it's a way to be able to stay home and make some money if that's a passion that you have so I started out of the house and I just kind of started telling people I'm like I- I think I'm going to start charging for this because I did a lot of favors in the <laughs> beginning. And Philip sat me down and he's like, enough favors. I think we need to see what we can do with this. Yeah. And so that's where it started.
0: And then Philip, your husband, yes. he works for juvenile, well, he worked for juvenile court for a long time, he right? He did. Yeah. He
1: worked for Cato Parish Juvenile Court. He now is the program director for CASA, which is Court Appointed Special Advocate and uh, he's been there for about a year
0: yeah i think that's important because for people listening you know you guys have had some context to mental health and kids yes. with mental health and things like that you know you come from divorce and blended family right. And so i think that's led into the thing we will talk about a little yes, bit yes yeah. yes a lot of it yes <laughs> yeah. all right josie okay what's your spew
2: um well i am josie martinez i just graduated in may from ce bird high school um, and I will be attending Northwestern State um, in Natchitoches in, mm, like, two weeks. Um, so, you know, I've just been getting ready for that. Um, I'm the second big. So uh, I have my older brother, um, and he is actually my only biological. It's how kind of the blended family also is, uh, my younger siblings. I consider them my own, um, but they are uh, my half and so um yeah but i don't know just just getting ready for school that's kind of my spiel yeah you excited <laughs> yes yeah. very much excited nervous all the things
0: do you know what you're majoring in
2: elementary education
0: okay and what brought that about
2: um actually going to tour Washita baptist mm-hmm. um I had to just pick something else, and I have been called to work with kids since el- uh, not elementary school, since freshman year. And um, when I went toward there, and they asked me, "Well, why'd you want to go into teaching?" I was like, uh, "To be honest, I didn't want to. I just needed to think of something else." And after um, talking to the dean there, I was like, "Okay, I think I could seriously." do this and we looked in like the room that we were in it was like all decorated and, like construction theme type of stuff and my mom was just like you could so do this you would have a blast doing it and i was like "Well, let's give it a shot and mm-hmm. so that's my plan so far and then if that end up ends up not working out um i took psychology this year at bird and i really enjoyed it and um, i thought about doing like child psychology counseling.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a, a big need. Yes. Sp- speaking of that. So talk to me, let's start with you a little bit okay. on, since you have less content than Jenny does on, yeah. on the trauma world, right? but you have some. So kind of tell tell me like, or tell people what is your like testimony? I mean, you're both Christians, you're both very faithful in your walk with Christ. And you know, I've, I've seen you do that as a young woman, which I'm super proud of. I love on Sundays, looking up and watching you go pray with people and just be engaged. And plus you've kept my kids and I know your heart. So, you know, it's safe to hear that story Mm -hmm. for me. So, uh, kind of tell us from the divorce standpoint in whatever context you want to your story, your testimony and how that led to therapy and EMDR. And then we can get into that later after we hear your mom.
2: Right. So I, for most of my, like, childhood which it was actually just like till about five I had only really known it being me my mom and my brother um my uh mom and my biological father were divorced when I was little and so I don't really remember having that uh like actual family I remember it just being us uh us three and um and then you know Phil came into our lives at um, and got married and they got married when I was five years old. And so I've always known him as, uh, my father figure and always the one being there and supporting me and supporting me in school and softball and stuff like that. Um, you know, I could do have just like the typical, I got saved when I was seven and got baptized when I was seven. And, you know, you have some high schoolers or, uh, when they get older, they did that, uh, baptism when they were younger. I didn't really mean it but I do truly feel like I remember it really well and that is truly when I got saved but my faith wasn't really tested until about eighth grade well actually sixth grade my biological father decided to move up to Shreveport from New Orleans which we so
0: you were like 11 11, yes
2: roughly yes (laughs) um he had moved up to Shreveport because he wanted to be closer to me and my brother and then fought for joint custody and so all throughout middle school we went one week at mom and phil's and the next week we went to um my dad's and his new wife and so it was okay at the start and then it really took a toll on my grades and it took a toll on my attitude and my siblings and yeah he, my yes. mom's not attitude yes, yes. Uh, it just I, took it took a big toll my grades had plummeted and one of my teachers um had had called my mom and was like what is going on she is not this type of student and my mom had explained what was going on and he was like that makes total sense and mm-hmm. so he had actually helped me a little bit try to get my grades back up and stuff and I couldn't think of him enough for that. Um, and then in eighth grade, um, my biological father and his wife got divorced. And that was the first divorce that I really kind of understood what had happened. Um, because he had been divorced before that with my mom and mm-hmm. with uh, my other stepmom, Courtney, which I love her to death mm-hmm. still. Um, but I didn't really understand what it was, what was actually happening. It was just kind of like, oh, they broke up. Like, mm-hmm. that's just it. But this one I kind of understood okay like this is it like there's no going back and I had always looked up to um that stepmom Holly but then kind of figuring out what had happened um and the reasons I was like wow this was actually a pretty hard this is a home that just struggled Mm -hmm. and um and so then march of eighth grade i had decided that i the benefit for the benefit of me i need to be in one household i need to have that structure and i need to only be in one place and so i chose my mom's because there was structure there was always a constant and she was always there and phil had been there since i was five and i had my siblings and i knew that and it was a home that was loved and there was a home that just helped you like spread the gospel and brought you to Jesus and stuff like that. And so that's where I had decided to stay and I said that I will choose when I want to see my biological father and and I did. I chose if I wanted to go to lunch with him or if I wanted to go stay the night there. Um but then my faith was like super tested my well, freshman so, year. So was Paul's
0: there. Okay. So can I mean super brave of you to share. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Um, Can you talk a little bit about... Because I think a lot of people think when kids... Like, I like to say... I mean, I I come from a divorced home. My parents Mm -hmm. divorced when I was eight. But a lot of people in culture treat divorce and adoption and all those things as if they're basic run-of-the-mill things that don't Mm -hmm. affect us. And especially kids, that they just kind of... As long as there's no big, bad trauma, then it doesn't affect them. So can you talk about, like, if you're a parent out there and you have a kid and you're going through divorce or custody or any of these issues, can you tell what would maybe be the benefit of getting into therapy earlier do you think people should get into therapy earlier I mean
2: I feel like definitely I going through that divorce I realized how much collateral damage happened but even going through the whole week on and week off I could see the collateral damage in um, my younger sister Izzy Mm -hmm. and she just couldn't understand why do Josie and Houston have a different dad, why do they switch? Like, what's going on with that? And she actually did go to therapy a little bit for it just because she couldn't understand the concept of why. Why did because it net it wasn't a problem until middle school, whenever the joint custody had happened. Um, so I think like for Izzy, it was super beneficial that like she was able to go and she was just able to talk about it and be like, why is this? going on like why is there why does Josie have a different dad than I do I've only known her to have the same dad Mm -hmm. um and I think just and me going to therapy like during week on week off I think it was good that I was just able to talk about it to somebody that wasn't going through the situation Mm. because sometimes that's just something you need like sometimes you don't want to talk to your mom about it because (laughs) she's going to have a completely different perspective on the situation than you do. And sometimes you don't even want to talk to your friend about it because she is, he or she is a part of it still Mm -hmm. because they're your friend. And so it was super beneficial for me to go to therapy because I was able to talk to my counselor about it, but she wasn't in the situation at all. She was there to just sit and listen and guide me through it.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. yeah okay so then keep going
2: okay um freshman year is whenever my faith was very tested freshman year was a very hard year for me um over thanksgiving break uh we found me and my brother found out that um our biological father was arrested and we could not understand the concept of it we were like we were in denial we were like there's no way. Mm-hmm. And we had been explained that like he was that he had like fleed and that he like flew or fled the street uh, New Orleans and um to try to run away from the law and we were just like what it was like our whole world was just starting to fall apart. Like mm-hmm. and I just I ended up getting so mad at the Lord. I was like, My life was already hard, why is it getting worse? Like why? Did this have to happen? And then, you know, I and I got angry at the Lord, and I turned I turned away from the Lord. I did not go to Him for it. I would go to therapy, but whenever my counselor told me you need to turn the Lord to the Lord for this, I did not. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I no one's here to help me. I need to do this myself. And then February twelfth, which is actually my birthday of that year, I was on my way to a softball game and um phil came to pick me up and said everybody's fine nobody's hurt but the house is on fire or the house was on fire Mm -hmm. and we have to go home and then you i was an hour away and my mind just kept racing like what does it look like what do i have left do i have anything left or is Mm -hmm. it completely to the ground and when i got there just about everything i had was my softball uniform that i had on the converse i had on my feet and a pair of pjs and it was the lord telling me like you have you don't have anything you can turn to anymore you turn to me trust me and i am going to bring you through this and i'm going to use this to bring glory to god mm-hmm. and that and that was the point where i was like oh my word i do i do don't have anything. I have the church and I have the Lord and and that's when I definitely think my great my faith grew exponentially because I became from not having hardly anything and yeah.
1: Definitely.
0: That's good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So I'll let your mom catch up with the story and okay. then we'll we'll dive into what we did about all that.
1: Sure. Um so <clears throat> I think in
0: How's that hearing Jesse talk about it?
1: It it's She's grown so much. I know, right? She has grown so much, and we we had really prayed for God to use our family, and I had prayed um, through divorce for God to use the divorce to further the kingdom and to use my testimony and the pain and the struggle through all of that, because it was not what I wanted to happen, and it. You know it did regardless of what i wanted or what i knew the lord wanted for it Mm -hmm. it just um was poor choices made on both sides so i have to own half of that i got myself into it and i own half of that divorce Mm -hmm. um we were unevenly yoked when we got married and i knew it and i went ahead with it anyway and so and then i brought two kids into it so they are the greatest blessing from that but it's half mine so um, it, it will always be with us because of decision that I made, regardless of what he did mm-hmm. was the decision I made then. But um, when the kids started going back and forth and we saw the, like Josie said, collateral damage, which is a perfect term for it happening to everybody around us, we, we noticed it with the other kids in the house and Izzy especially. And so counseling at that point for a child that young, I didn't really understand how it would benefit her because mm-hmm. – none of the rest of us had ever counseled that young right. and i have counseled a long time um but for izzy you know the counselor that she had did play therapy with her and that was super beneficial but also taught her incredible coping skills and so she i remember her telling uh, izzy to they, they would make a map of where the kids were gonna be that week. So because younger children can't understand the concept of time, and so they don't know what seven days is, how how far away is Sunday for real? Because in mm-hmm. their world, it's forever. Right. So but if they have a physical map that they can look at, and then we would put the pictures of the kids' faces on it, and we'd be like, this is the day we're on here. And then we'd have like a little house where you could get to the other end of it and we're going to this day and then they come home. So that was easier for them to be able to visually see something when they were going to come back home. And then when they would get super sad and miss the big kids, they had um, a Josie box and a Houston box that they would open up that had things in it that made them feel closer to them. So they had a stuffed animal, I think. They used a
2: lot of my stuffed animals. I still love stuffed animals. I will gladly admit it. <laughs> um, but I had a couple stuffed animals that I left, that I would leave on my bed. And me and Izzy shared a room. And so sometimes she would grab one from my bed and sleep with it at night. And Maggie Jo would grab one. And um, Houston had a pillow that he always used. And he would always bring it out to, like, the living room and mm-hmm. stuff. Right. And I noticed a lot Maggie would typically grab the pillow and just go sleep with it and so we would make sure that there was stuff there for them to be able to grab and be able to say like all right i can i can hold on this it's a little piece of josie or it's a
1: little piece of houston and be able to be okay until they get back home. It was an easy way for them to cope. It was actually something physical they could touch or see. Mm -hmm. And so that was super beneficial. And then they learned, um, because of that at an early age, when their big brother went off to college and he was 10 hours away from us and we we dropped him off in August and we weren't gonna see him again until November. And when you're a big family, you're around each other all the time, you're used to the noise, you're used to particular people being there and all of a sudden he was gone. Mm And so it was a, it was a loss, and um, so they knew to go ahead and make those boxes again, and it was something that they could open up. So they would put a Scooby-Doo movie in it because Houston loves Scooby-Doo, mm-hmm. and they would put like a wrapper, a Cheez-It box or something like that, and that yeah. just always made them happy, made them smile, got them over the, the moment of grief and sadness, mm-hmm. and then they could pack it up, put it back under the bed, and move on. So it was, it was really beneficial. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So, how did you uh, tell me a little bit about your story and, and leading up to, I mean, <clears throat> however you want to tell it?
1: Okay. So, leave it open. Um, I became a believer when I was in my early 20s and uh, lived in Minneapolis. That's where I met my ex husband at. And we moved to Shreveport. We'd had Houston and then uh, we moved here and we had Josie and then he left after she was before she was a year old and really didn't come back until she said to like middle school. Um, through that, I learned that I I tried to do everything on my own. Um, didn't work out so well for me. Supermom did not work out really very well for me. Um, I was I had bounced in and out of counseling and, and different types of counseling. And then uh, we had been attending Braumar Baptist Church. And so I really was able to have a community around me for the first time in my life that wasn't my my like blood family Mm -hmm. and i didn't understand that concept but um looking back at it when i first started to serve which was vacation bible school the um the women that i was placed with to serve with really just began to mentor me and love on me and finish raising me i was I mean, I was 23 when I had Houston. I was 25 when I had Josie. I was a young single mom. Um, I wasn't divorced yet, but I was a single mom. Right. And so they basically finished raising me and taught me what community looked like and taught me what service looked like. So then um, when the counseling center opened up um, that I go to now, I started to actively seek counseling and try to just work through the abandonment and neglect issues that I'd had mm-hmm. from the divorce abandonment and neglect issues I had feelings that God had done the same thing because I had begged for him to save this and it wasn't the marriage was not saved um by his grace we made it through it but you know the marriage was not it was not going to um remain and so I counseled um, through that and battling for the marriage and then counseled through the divorce there um, with uh, some of the pastors and then when the counseling center opened, I, I continued on with that. So um, we fast forward and I remarried and um, Philip loves us. He loved the big kids as his own from the very beginning. And then we had three more kids and then just the um, the the trauma from the divorce had stuck with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that that marriage ended in two thousand six and so it's something that I still have to process things that come up. Like something yeah. came up two weeks ago and I was like, oh man, <laughs> right? yeah, I thought I was through this and I'm not. Mm-hmm. So there are things that but now I can easily recognize that it's something that I need to talk out or mm-hmm. to process through EMDR.
0: Can you talk a little bit about um... Um, how those things, you know, last and why that's okay. I think a lot of people, you know, they move from a trauma or they have something happen in their past and they move, let's say, either time or they move proximity or they move distance and then they pretend like that thing doesn't connect to the present. Can you talk about that? <laughs> right.
1: I, they all connect. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it all connects at some point. I can connect um, little T traumas from when I was little to the big T traumas that have happened. And they'll all just they'll all just they'll spiral They'll spiral and um it's because it's just if it's a loss it's a loss across the board if it's mm-hmm. a loss of a marriage if it's the loss of a house if it's the loss of um control in something then they all just kind of you know they all kind of spiral together and so i have learned through counseling um, ways to cope with those triggers that happen that end up coming up like two weeks ago and I was like oh man this is another something that I didn't realize I was like okay well I can do some of it at home myself some of it I go back in and have help with and I can realize that um, God has given me coping skills and to use the coping skills that I've been taught to get through that but the fact that they happened is okay they happened like they're never ever gonna go away. I really don't ever want them to go away because they made me who I am yeah and without them I don't have that testimony and I um, think it's important for people to see that and it's okay it's okay for me to cry about it It's okay for me to get angry about it. It's okay for me to just not have a good day. Um, but like just learning to cope with it and being able to move on from it is the bigger part of it. Mm-hmm. So I can have that trigger, I can have that little cry session or whatever it is, but I can move on from it rather quickly these days. So and then recognizing when it's something that I can't move on from and I need extra help with, then I go back in and I I work on that trauma or work on that incident or whatever happened. But it you know recognizing that it could be something very little. Um, and little by one trauma I, I realized I had was from the dentist office when I was little, and so I went in. It was so crazy, y'all. This is so crazy. <laughs> so I went in. I had a I had a counseling appointment after a dental appointment one day, and I went in with half of my face all numbed up, and I had almost passed out in the dentist chair. And I don't get nervous in the dentist chair unless they're using Novocaine. Mm -hmm. So I'm fine getting my teeth cleaned. And I walked into my session and I was like, I had the weirdest incident today. And I almost passed out in the chair and I was freaking out. And all I could remember was the smell of that Novocaine was like when I was little and I had had four teeth pulled to get my braces. And my therapist looked at me and he said, "And what did you just describe?" And I was like, "I, I don't know." And he goes, "Trauma." I was like, "Are you kidding me right now?" Right. I was like, "Okay." <laughs> now it's not something I would look at as a like as a major thing, but my body fully reacted mm-hmm. to it, and I f- had a full on trigger an anxiety attack that was uncontrollable yep. and so i was like holy cow yeah and that was brought on by a smell and a sound yep. so something that i didn't even realize which i wouldn't consider a big like oh i don't need to go talk about this to somebody this isn't big enough to go talk about and i was like yeah it's big enough that my body reacted and i almost mm-hmm. flipped out <laughs> so, well yeah
0: yeah. <clears throat> yeah i always tell people for you know if you, have, if you listen to our podcast all the time, you've heard us talk about this all the time, but I'll just cover it really quick. You know, little T trauma is, you know, getting your teeth pulled at the dentist. Big T trauma is rape, sexual abuse, war, but it, you don't have to have a bunch of um, big T traumas for it to change your brain instantly. Right. Little T traumas can build up over time and then cause a really big blow up right on top of a big T trauma. And so right. we'll talk about how that actually played right. out with the fire and stuff right. in a minute. But I, my definition for trauma is anything that's not nurturing. Right. And so, you know, if you measure against worse things, it's real easy. Like as a right. veteran, I'll say, well, that, you know, that's not that big of a deal. I wasn't special forces. Right. I shouldn't have PTSD. Right. Or people tell me all the time, well, my dad didn't beat me to death. You know, and I'm like, well, you're measuring it against horrible things that would have substantially more consequences. Mm-hmm. Yes. But if you measure against what God intended you to receive, Right? right. Then anything that's not what God intended to receive causes some consequence. Right. You know, and the other thing I do all the time that I love is like, would you want your kids to have gone through that? Right. And people are like, no, no. you know, and I'm like, but it was okay but, for you and right. you're fine. Right. And I'm sure you got all that, but you know, right. both of you understand and have worked <laughs> yeah. through that, but you know, that's the integration piece is being able to, to understand what you've been through, contextualize it. And and let it no longer say anything about your worth and value, right? But it doesn't mean it still doesn't affect your body. And Van der kolk's "The Body Keeps the Score," you know, it talks about that idea that our bodies keep these memories, keep these things, you know, connected. And you can't separate out the physical from the mental and the emotional and spiritual and all those right. things. And so, yeah, we can be in a situation and have a sight, a smell, a sound. I mean, seasons seasons right yes. i mean all the time i have things that happen and i'm like oh well it's getting cold yep. that reminds me of this and that could be good or mm-hmm. bad right you know we're all used to the good right we're like oh we love christmas we love when this stuff starts happening and christmas music is on in the store you know it's usually july and it's like you know we get prepared but the same thing happens with negative things mm-hmm. you know yeah. and and a lot stronger mm-hmm. so it's, it's a great segue right um okay so you have the divorce. You have your childhood. You have this blended family. You're dealing with all these things. Some of it you didn't go to therapy for. Then you go to therapy. You learn a little insight into those things, and then the house, and and then better. Well, let's let's talk about you with better at bake shack. So you, so you, what I know is that you know you, you had all that stuff. You and Phil are married. You're doing well. You're going to Broadmoor, and you start the bake shop, and then you start doing it in your house. Yes. So,
1: so I started doing it in my house, and. It uh it was a huge blessing it, it got a little too big for its britches which is good but um there's only so much i can do as one person right. so it, it was going really well and uh, things are moving forward and then when you think you're at a point where you know everything's coming along and I'm, you're not stressing about money week to week or whatever mm-hmm. it is then bam something happens
0: right and you had just gotten a new kitchen and all that kind of stuff right <laughs>
1: Yes. We had just remodeled the bathroom. We had just, my husband had remodeled the kitchen. My husband and my in-laws had remodeled this kitchen. Um, And he had done a lot of remodel to the house. Mm -hmm. And so the last part of the remodel was like August, September, and then the fire happened in February. Mm -hmm. And so, and it just made us all mad. It made us mad. Like, we're just angry about all the work that we had done on top of the that of all the loss that just happened. Yeah. And so um, so the fire happened, like Josie said, the fire happened on her birthday, um, which is a trigger. Mm-hmm. Then ends up later on that we're all waiting, waiting, waiting for this anniversary that happens to be on what's supposed to be her most fun day of the year. Right. And how do you deal with that coming up? Um, this season, like you said, man, I tell you what, when it starts getting cool and the sky line looks the same as it did that night of the fire, and it smells the same, the smells are more crisp, um, That that's a huge trigger. Just just the way the sky will look, I'll go, oh man. Okay, I know where this is coming from, but oh man. Right. Yeah, and so. So, t-
0: so talk about that just in, in either one of you. I think the important part about therapy sometimes is, it's not that it takes away all the pain, or all the suffering, or all the issues, it's that you know what's happening. right? Like, can you talk about that?
1: Well, it, I, I was, I, I remember in particular it was right before the anniversary of the fire, and I had gone to deliver a wedding cake outside of town, and my husband usually goes with me um, to drive. Well, he drives, and I tell him to go slower and not hit things, and you know all that because yeah. there's <laughs> Cause a wedding cake. Because I'm like, <laughs> anyway, that's how that all works every single time. But uh, we were coming back into town, and I was like, oh man, and I just started crying. And I was like, why am I crying right now? Why am I? Well, there was smoke off in the distance. It was January, so the uh, time of day was about the same time of day that fire had happened. Um, And I saw this smoke off in the distance, and I was like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, why does that bother me so bad? And he looked at me, and he goes, why shouldn't it bother you so bad? He goes, cry about it. It's fine. He goes, cry about it. You'll move on in a little bit. And he's like, it's okay to cry about it. It's okay to be attached to it. And part of what I learned about me crying about smoke off in the distance, because I can tell when it's a house fire and when it's not, and I've sought out the house fires that I've seen, because I feel so bad for the people that it's happening Mm -hmm. to. And so it's this part of me that aches um, for the people that it's happening to. And then I think, oh, if they don't have community, this Mm -hmm. is going to be really difficult for them. If they don't have somebody to talk to, and so sometimes I'll go seek out where the fire's at to love on the family or whatever do the smells bother me and do the picture it all bothers me mm-hmm. it all bothers me, but it doesn't bother me to the point that I don't want to do it anymore right so um so I just it just allowing it to happen and being okay with the tears coming and being okay with and sometimes I get mad I'm like, why am I still mm-hmm. dealing with this i've counseled and I've counseled and my husband is so encouraging in the fact he's like because it happened Mm -hmm. he's like because it happened and he's like and it's who we are now so cry it out be mad about it and we'll move right on Mm -hmm. in about usually takes me 30 seconds to a minute if the tears come and um and generally it's when I get surprised by things so if I get surprised by um, An emergency vehicle with lights or sirens. I'd like if I'm driving and they come up on me real quick, it surprises me, and then I cry about it. If I see them off in the distance coming, I have a little bit of time to prepare, and I don't cry about it. Because it's not a surprise to me. Like that night that the fire happened, it surprised me when they came around the corner. Mm -hmm. Like I remember it perfectly when they came around the corner. So it's that it's being in that same type of situation. And so my husband and my kids are actually all really good. Even the little kids say, Mom, there's a fire truck like, Thank you, got it. Right. So just to put it on my radar, like, hey, this is what's happening or Phil say I see lights, just so you know, it's a police car. Or just, you know, because it tends to be the fire truck or the ambulance that yeah. trigger me yeah. the most. Because there was a time we had
2: moved <clears throat> into um, into a new house that we were renting. And she was going to introduce herself to the neighbors. Well, there is a fire station on the end of the street. And she's about, to go, she's about to go walk across the street to introduce herself. And fire truck just comes zooming down the street and our new neighbors are just looking at her because she's just like she's crying because it, she didn't realize that there's a fire station at the end of our street right. and she was like give me a minute just give me a second and then like and then
1: she cries and then she goes okay hi Jenny Martinez, I'm your new neighbor. (laughs) I'm your new crazy neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And they just looked at me and I was like, we had a fire. I'm actually okay, but that's a trigger. And I just have to let it happen. And then I just move on. from
2: No. And one of my triggers was that night of my softball game, it was the coldest game of the season. Um, And they're the most miserable games of the season. So that just makes it worse. (laughs) But one of them was then going to another game where it was super cold. Like, it was just, and it was, especially if it was in a a way game, and it was super cold. Like, we had one the next year, and it was freezing. But you're, like, I don't know, it's already miserable. And then, like we had said earlier, like, it just spirals and spirals. And then, like, I was talking about my shoes and how I wore Converse, because that's what I always wore to travel in. And now I can't, like, ever wear a pair of Converse anymore. Because my Converse, four years later, still have... A little bit of like soot and smoke on them but they're a part of my life and so i still have them they're still in my closet and i don't want to part with them because mm-hmm. that's still it's a part of my life it makes me who i am and so mm-hmm. i still keep them but sometimes i look at them and i'm like oh that happened mm-hmm. yeah. this is the reason why i can't wear them anymore right. but they're still what makes me me
0: Right. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I think that's the, again, I'm going to say integrating integrating it again, but it's like you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater once you do the work. Right. You can have things that you look at. It doesn't mean you're going to wear them. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't mean you're going to carry them around. Right. But we all have little ways of contextualizing what we've been through and bringing it into the present, but also not fully bringing it into the right. present. And that's, I mean, everybody has that story. I think to encourage people that are listening, if you have things in your life that you're so avoidant of mm-hmm. or that you just don't want to deal with, you know, that's actually the thing you need to deal with. Right. You know, the analogy is kind of the, the are you going to face the dragon in its lair or are you going to face the dragon when it comes out and can fly right. around and shoot fire yeah. at you? Right. You know, it, it, either way, you got to face the dragon. Yeah. But pretending right. like it doesn't exist, right, is not going to help you. And so no. oh, and the no. idea is if you face the dragon in the den, you might get the gold.
1: right -hmm. right Right.
0: so there's a there's a good end result you know with dealing with these these things that are difficult but either way you're facing it and so a lot of people just put it off (laughs) for many years until it it comes up in a situation i think the thing about uh the fire well i'll let you tell me uh tell me how what the fire brought up two things you were already in therapy working on things so i would believe that that helped minimize the damage the mm-hmm. loss because loss and grief right it's like whether right. it's family yeah. or dad or you know marriage Anything. yes it's like now all of that's right there so can you talk about how it was beneficial um, to be in therapy to kind of work through loss and grief
2: um, I mean I think it was beneficial because we had talked about like different coping mechanisms that we had we already knew a couple that um, we could use to, like, when those triggers were really bad. Like, mm-hmm. mine was going to my first away game after the fire, and I was just, like, I was just mean that day. Like, <laughs> I was just, I was mean, and I knew that, like, one of mine is just, like, zoning everyone out and just listening to music. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of music it is but if I'm just listening to music and I'm in my own like my own world and I can just kind of think about the music and just kind of calm myself down and that's what I did on the way home because I realized like how mean I was with (laughs) like all right I need to be away from everybody and do what I can and so I knew that that was something that had helped me another one that um has actually come up like recently because um you know i was actually adopted on may 18th phil had adopted me i'd asked him to Congratulations. Um, thank you and so part of that was you know kind of having to relive the stuff like the reasons why i'm doing it and so one of them it's like it's super simple it's just like one of them's like counting down from a big number just to make you stop thinking about it or uh you have a minute to name as many ice cream flavors as you can and like it's stuff that I still use, but it's stuff that like I already knew that I could because I was in therapy before mm-hmm. the fire had happened. I was in therapy before the, um, my biological father's like last divorce had happened right. because the week on, week off was so difficult. Mm-hmm. And so it was stuff that I already knew I could do to kind of calm myself down or make the situation a little less intense yeah. than right. it was.
0: Well, I think that's so important for you to say, because I think there's not just one crisis we go through in life, right? right? There's not just one storm. There's not one difficulty, but if you wait for the big one, then they all pile up, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you, it's hard to function. It's hard to make it. You do end up having to go impatient or, you know, get on some heavy meds or do Mm -hmm. whatever. And and not that any of those things are bad, but you know, there, that's the little T trauma buildup or or multiple Mm -hmm. trauma buildup. And and so when you're in therapy, when you're taking care of your emotional health, your spiritual health, your mental health, like in these other scenarios, now you have tools to equip you to deal with them now. way better. And so they don't take so much out of you, right? Right. We call that resiliency, right? Right. You build resiliency in yourself. And, and the other part is that, you know, you can't judge, like it helps you to not judge other people for their own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. right? So as a family, when everybody's in therapy dealing with their stuff, and you know, let's say Josie's being mean, You don't have to be over there taking it personally,
1: right? You get why, yeah. Yeah. You're
0: like, well, you're triggered. This isn't personal. You still need to take personal responsibility and go listen to your music, but I'm not going to be over here freaking out because you're struggling because I just Mm -hmm. broke down because of a fire truck coming around the corner. Right. I mean, exactly. We get that stuff, so right, super helpful. Uh, Have you heard the the tall grass analogy for trauma and triggers? No, I don't think so. Okay, so my favorite analogy for people listening is to help you understand what they're saying is that if you imagine you're walking down the street, down the sidewalk, and there's this tall, thick grass, and you're with your best friend, and a lion jumps out of the tall grass and mauls your friend, mm-hmm. right? And you go through the next couple of weeks, you do the funeral, you you know miss your friend, and the ne- you're walking down another street in another neighborhood, and there's tall grass. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna do? Freak out. Right, you're gonna <laughs> run the opposite direction, right. you're mm-hmm. gonna get hot, you're gonna get sweaty, right. your, your pulse is gonna go up, you're gonna get in fight or flight. Did the tall grass kill your friend?
1: No.
0: Right. And so we have all this tall grass in our life right. that is not the problem. Right. But we, we are so quick to avoid the tall grass that we never actually get to the problem. Right. Yeah. So we just find ourselves running away from every or attacking everything mm-hmm. at all points and that, that stuff's just tall grass. Right. It's not the tiger. Yeah. And so therapy allows us to go, okay, let's be in a safe place. Let's bring a little bit of grass in here right. and let's tolerate it and let's figure out why am I upset by this grass? Right. You know, and when you have a person who's not reactive and calm, you know, they can help you see, well, maybe mm-hmm. that's related to you yes, know, exactly. yeah. getting your teeth pulled. Getting when your teeth you're, pulled when yeah. you're
1: little. Yes. And exactly.
0: so, you know, there's a hundred ways that people explain that, but that's just one of my mm-hmm. easier favorite ways. Um, so yeah, for people listening, if you have things in your life that you don't understand why they're upsetting you so much, it's tall grass. It's not the problem. right? You know, there's yeah. a tiger somewhere that you got to deal with. Right. Um, so yeah, it's good. Yeah. So, so the fire happens mm-hmm. and tell me, let's talk about EMDR. Okay. So, so you know, i had done therapy, therapy, talk therapy, but right. the fire, how did that lead to maybe EMDR specifically?
1: Uh, I had started EMDR before the fire okay, good. when I was dealing with, um, the kids dad with, and I was still dealing with divorce and things that would come out that would set me off that I didn't realize bothered me at all or still bothered me and so there were things I needed to go back and revisit in that um, to try to process through the EMDR Mm -hmm. and so the the best analogy that My counselor gave me at the time is that I was taking all these these things that had happened, all these circumstances and um, emotions and everything, and I kept packing them away in this closet and packing away. We all have a junk drawer. We all have a closet or whatever. We stuff our stuff in at home, right? And well, sometimes it gets so full that you're like, you're pushing it shut, you're pushing it shut, and finally you get it shut and it's there. But then something happens Somebody leaves the socks in the middle of the living room floor, which has nothing to do with the closet, but you open that door up and everything comes flying out Mm -hmm. at you. So that's what was beginning to happen with me not handling the divorce, like right out of divorce. I didn't know how to cope with that at the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't know know the things that really bothered me, to tell you the truth, until Mm -hmm. I met Phil and then was remarried and then found out that, oh, man, there are some things that I think he's going to do the same way that happened in my other mm-hmm. marriage. And so that was really, and it was beneficial that my husband mm-hmm. has all of his degrees in counseling psychology. <laughs> and so he was, <laughs> like, I was like, did you really need all those degrees just to be married to me? Because that's where this all comes from. Right. So anyway, so I had already started that um, and, and boxing those things away in the closet. So the more I would process an event that bothered me or came up, I was able to go through the EMDR and sit there and, um, think about the incident which is the hardest part Mm -hmm. that's the hardest part is to make yourself sit down and go through it again Mm -hmm. and really really think about what was around you at the time and the smells or what the sky looked like and then sometimes you realize people were there that you didn't even know were there Uh, that happened after the fire I was like oh man there were like 50 people there with me and I, I didn't even realize that until I went back through and that was a blessing that the EMDR brought those things out and so The EMDR would bring out a lot of scripture, and so I I would see a a Christian counselor, and so a lot of the ways that I am able to cope is through scripture, and so I would be in a a processing session, and God would bring a a verse to mind, Um, and the Spirit would pull that out of me to combat some of the emotions and to combat... Some of the triggers, sometimes I, you know, those are the verses that I use, and then those verses would show up, you know, everywhere else yeah. coincidentally, of course. Yeah, because, right. yeah um, that week they'd show up in a box of clothes somebody had washed for us, and there were would be note cards in the clothes, mm-hmm. and people would bring them and drop them off to us with scripture on them, and so I had already started all that, and. Um, so I knew what it was about, but I knew right after the fire was not the exact time for me to start processing it. Yeah. So I literally had a counseling session scheduled that week that my friend drugged mm-hmm. me to. I was like, I'm not going. I am not doing this right now. I do. I already know. I know what this is going <laughs> to do, and I don't want to do it. Right. I'm not there yet. And so that took a little while to start some of those steps. but
0: Which is a perfect normal non-sinful human emotion right Right. avoidance
1: avoidance you know
0: jesus said in the garden of gethsemane if there's any other way take this cup from me take it so you know it's not a sin to not want to do the painful thing right it's human it's 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 jesus didn't want to go all the way but it's our faith in the father that eventually gets us there it's our trust in him that goes okay i trust you lord right and i trust this process i trust connection i trust community
1: right so that was, I did go in that week and straight looked at my counselor and said, I, I, I don't want to talk about this right now. I don't want to. And he's like, okay, sure. And so, of course, I start, you know, kind of just going through the emotions of it. Um, I knew that it was, I was not ready to sit and process it. It hadn't been long enough mm-hmm. for, I could, I was still in straight survival at that point. Yeah. Like the clothes on my back, all we had. Mm-hmm. And so needing to get through a little bit more of it yeah. needed to happen before I could actually start processing it. But the blessings that came out of the hard work that is EMDR are the good things that I saw through it. The people, when I when I go back through and I have to process something that I know is gonna be difficult, God always shows me the good in it and brings that scripture to mind that he works together for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose and so I could see good things happening and I could see community and the beauty in community and the beauty literally in the ashes Mm -hmm. um it's a literal, it's a literal, like, it's a visual in our house when you can see the beauty and the ashes. And it was the community that came through that and, um, the ability to stand up against it. And our, our oldest son had been in counseling also, because a lot of what happened to Josie obviously happened to him. And because he had already started that, he came up, he, he, this is amazing but he came up after school onto the fire so i mean this happened right in the afternoon there's no calling him there's no telling him like you pull up your house on fire so he comes up and he just runs into the neighbor's yard with me and he just dropped to his knees and i was like oh here we go like i can't even handle myself right now (laughs) let alone handle you and he just said god what is so big and beautiful on the other side of this that you want us to see? And he's like, I don't know what it is. He said, but mama, he said, there's so much trauma right now. And he's like, we may not see the beauty in this, this side of heaven, but it's going to be there. And I just looked at him like, that just came out of your mouth. Like, <laughs> who? Like, you what? were the teenage teenager boy said that, <laughs> that we've taken kicking and screaming right. half the time. You're supposed
0: to be saying, why me? Yes, why me? And, right. I, yeah. yes,
1: why me? and it was, he's like, what is so big on the other side? And that just, I was like, he wouldn't have been able to do it because he couldn't do that a few months before when this other stuff happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was able to do that. And God used him in that moment to teach his 40-year-old mama Mm -hmm. how to handle it.
0: And that's, I mean, for people listening, I mean, that's literally the story of the Bible, right, is that we, life happens Mm -hmm. to the people in the Bible and they go, where's God? And then God shows up and redeems it and makes beauty from these ashes, and then we get another opportunity, opportunity. later yeah. to go. And a lot of times, right, we get it wrong. We we go, why, where is God? Or And we have the we have the ability to question. Right. You know, when my brother-in-law's dying of brain cancer, things that I'm like, what in what? the, you yeah. know. Yeah. But the, the more mature you get in, and it's not that you don't doubt and you can't lament and you can't question, but you do. You have this knowledge, okay, my faith says something is gonna come after this, right. and this is gonna be painful, but I have to mm-hmm. trust that you're gonna show up. Right. And that, you know, that's all the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. yeah, That's definitely not us. Yeah,
1: no, it's not us, Yeah, but we are not capable of that.
0: So can you, Josie, will you talk a little bit about EMDR for you and what, you know, that was like?
1: Yeah,
2: so...
0: Cause some people were like, you know, what is so EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So mm-hmm. you can do paddles in your hands that mm-hmm. vibrate, you can do light board back and forth, you can do finger back and forth, you can do whatever, yeah. but it's a bilateral simulation. So when you heard that about this, what was kind of your instinct or...
2: well? like mom said she has done it before and so when everything had happened with um with my dad and uh him being arrested and stuff i did not want to do it just because i was so angry with the lord and with my dad and just with everything that had happened and so i didn't do it i like i was scheduled to go in for an emdr and i would tell my counselor i'm not doing it Mm -hmm. i I, I will talk about it to you, but I don't, I was like, but I cannot, I was like, I can't think about this right now. And so I didn't really start EMDR until after the fire because that was the point where it's like, okay, you have nothing, you need to, <laughs> like you need to think about it, you need to figure this out. Yeah. Like you,
0: You're going one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And so that's when I had kind of started doing it, but I couldn't even think about the fire until I had thought about, like everything that happened. And it went all the way back to whenever, like my mom and uh, dad had gotten divorced, which, and I was barely even thought about that. I was one when he left. And so I was like, why is this making me so emotional? Mm -hmm. And my counselor was like, because it happened. She's like, (laughs) it doesn't matter if, yeah. She's like, it doesn't matter if you were one years old or if you were three years old, like, it happened and it affected your life and it affected y'all's lifestyle and so i couldn't even get through to the fire i didn't even process the fire till long time after it happened because i still had to process everything that had happened that thanksgiving break before i could even about my birthday but Mm -hmm. even then like mom was talking about community and how important community is i remember that night also that he was arrested, um, or the night that we found out, I was supposed to go to a, a friend's giving with my softball team, and I told my mom, I was like, I have to go. I have to be around my friends. I have to, like, I have to do this, and then, um, and I did, and they just loved on me, and, you know, also with community, God blesses you with people that sometimes go through a similar situation, and one of my friends in sixth grade had gone through that situation, not to uh, such a big extent, but having her father go to jail and she was like I, I get it and i'm here for you and um that's the one thing that i know about community is that god places so many different people in your life and maybe you don't know it the second that he does it but you know it later on mm-hmm. and with uh the fire like mom said there's so many people that came and my best friend katie reeves had uh her mom had called mom and said can she come over she just wants to To love on Josie. And the one thing about Katie Reeves is that she just listens and I just talk. That's all I do. I'm a talker and she's the listener. And all that night, uh, her mom let her miss school the next morning so she could just be with me all that night. She just let me talk. And that's what I needed. I needed that friend to just be quiet and just look me in the eyes and let me talk about everything that happened with dad and everything that happened on my birthday. And like, it was, that's the one thing that EMDR also brought out was the community that God provides for you through all the situations. Whether it's just one person saying, hey, I know what you're going through. I'm here for you. Or it's 50 people coming and then... uh the Sims family bringing a catering thing of Cane's for dinner because none of us had eaten and And brought it. we're food people. And we're food people Mm -hmm. but not just for our family but for uh, the high schoolers that were there helping out and for their parents helping out like Mm -hmm. board up the house and that is the one thing I know that EMDR has brought out is like looking back at it the community that God has provided in each and every situation even though you don't see it in the situation. You realize it later on after you've thought about it and you've looked back at it. Oh my word! Look how God has provided mm-hmm. for you through the struggle.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think what I try to explain to people is EMDR is a great tool. Right. You know, therapy in itself is kind of EMDR. If you're if you're trauma informed, you're kind of doing EMDR all the time, right? Right. So part of EMDR is getting you to lean over into your right brain and feel and re-experience not too much because right. you don't want to be over, over the yeah. top, but also bringing you back to logic where it's like, okay, let's make meaning out of this and what's true. Right. Cause I think that's one of the biggest problems with maybe non-Christian psychology. I'll, I'll say that I right. guess is that you're going, you have to go to a truth, right? Right. Is that your beliefs have shaped your thoughts and feelings, which shape your actions. And so you can do CBT and you can do cognitive behavioral therapy and it's super helpful to give you skills and tools but if you don't address your belief system, then you're in trouble. Right. Because the next crisis, the next thing, you're going back to faulty beliefs. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, is God good? Are people safe? Am I worthy and valuable and secure right. in the storm, Yeah. in the right. circumstance? And if you don't truly believe that, it's gonna be chaos the next storm. Right. Now you can, like now, you, can, you have skills, but your belief is what really gets you yeah, through it, right. right? It's like your faith, it allows you to go, no, I've seen community. I've seen love. I've seen grace. I've seen these things and I believe them. Right. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I always feel them. Right. And there's a but there's a big difference. Yeah. Whereas and I think sometimes what falls short maybe in in worldly psychology is like you're good. Right. You know, like at the end of the day out of, end of all your trauma, you're a good person, so you mm-hmm. didn't deserve these things because you're a good person. Right. And I think sometimes that can stick us in this really weird like, well, I know myself. Right, right. Like I know the last twelve yeah. hours of my brain, yes. and so you're telling me I'm good, but I'm not certainly, you know. And so it's like in Christ you're good. Christ right. says mm-hmm. you're good. You can send His righteousness and all these things. And I think being able to merge the two, if you're a Christian, is super important.
1: Right. You yeah. Know?
0: The world can do what it wants to do, but as Christians, I think right. the value of therapy um, from a Christian perspective is to be able to integrate those two mm-hmm. worlds.
1: Right. Well, and I think one of the the biggest issue with therapy coming from being a Christian is that sometimes we look at ourselves and think, ah, I can handle this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or I, I, I'm a follower of Christ. I know, I know my scripture. I know this in and out. I don't, I don't really need that. That needs to be for other things Mm -hmm. or this isn't big enough for that or I should have it all together. And I told myself that for a long time. I, I can control this. I can raise these kids by myself, I, 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 and, and that was not the case. And so the more that those walls were broken down and community was formed through the body of Christ, I saw how you know, we all work together. We all have different spiritual gifts, we all have different things, and, and every single bit of it is important. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think as, as a Christian, just realizing that it's not my job to have it all together. Thank goodness it's not my job to have it all together because mm. if y'all know what went on in my mind most of the day, it right. is not all yeah. together. Ditto. <laughs> yes, and so it's that's not my job, but God has given, um, given us teachers and given us counselors to help us with those things. That's not my, that's not my jam. I make cake, like that's what I do for a living. <laughs> like that is not, and and cake is something that other people use and they use for fellowship and they use and I use that to bless people and it makes people smile and so that is a gift that God has given me and can look at it as just cake but it's not
0: Absolutely.
2: It's
1: it's service and it's love mm-hmm. and it's praying over that cake before somebody eats it and so we've all been given this opportunity and so I think not utilizing our counseling and our counselors as Christians is just, it just makes me sad. Mm-hmm. And so because the more I get into it, the more I'm like, yeah, I'm just as broken as everybody else. We're all the same. Like right. we are all the same. And so the sooner we see that in each other and realize we're all in the same playing field, the easier it becomes. And then you also at that point want to use that To help other people, I want to be community for somebody else. I want to drive over where the smoke is is because such a
0: beautiful hard. I want to
1: follow the smoke. I want to stop and say, "You will survive this, and this is how you're going to." Mm -hmm. And here's my phone number. Let me walk you through um, how to deal with insurance. That I mean, that insurance itself, insurance is is hard enough to deal with. It's a nightmare, but what I wanted through part of that experience, seeing the things that could have really helped me in that, I want to be that for other people. Yeah. And so God will use that and lead you through the smoke and hold off your tears till you get home so that he can use you in that in that moment. Yeah. That's and beautiful. that's just what you wanna it's what you want to accomplish once you get far enough into it, I think.
0: Right, which then leads to purpose, which yes. actually moves you out of the pain and the struggle yes. because now it it has meaning. It has meaning, yeah. it has purpose. It's good. Mm-hmm. Josie, talk to me a little bit about kind of your age group and therapy. Cause I feel like for me and your mom, for example, <clears throat> the old guys in the room,
1: you know, therapy, <laughs> hey, speak for yourself. Yeah,
0: right. the, the, the thing is, and I was telling my mom this, this weekend, like when my, our parents grew up, there was no option. No. Right. So yeah. a lot of times we get mad and go, well, wish my parents would have been in therapy so they wouldn't, have, but it's like, there wasn't an option. There wasn't. Yeah. And even when we were growing up, like, I mean, I went to a counselor once or twice, but trauma therapy, understanding addiction and then being able to integrate it from a christian perspective was you know zilch and there's still not a lot now right um so but like even gray's anatomy has emdr okay. on there for an episode you know there's all these cultural things that's making therapy more known what's that like for your age group is that something i
2: mean as a as a student or as a middle schooler or high schooler one of uh our sermons in wednesday night church our new student minister uh, caleb nichols has said y'all are the busiest people i know and by that he meant you just keep yourself busy like mm-hmm. you're always doing something and for me like my day was i had school and then i had ball and then sometimes i babysat that night sometimes i had bible study that night or i had church that night i was my schedule was as maxed out as it could be and it's a lot of stress it's a lot of pressure and you have school and I'm thankful that like I'm not one of those people that took all the A P classes because you have the students that will take every single A P class that they have and then they're under the gun. Oh my gosh, I have to get this done, what am I gonna do? And so it is so stressful be like it is stressful being a high school student, but that's also stuff that we put on us, making, like, doing sports, being presidents of clubs, doing, uh, going to church, and making sure we're doing our Bible study every night, and all that, and, you know, you also just, other people look at you, and think about you, and you're so worried about, and I'll say that it's, like, middle school, and, like, an underclassman in high school. When I got to junior year, I did not care, but you're so worried about what other People think about you, and you just put this wall up of "Oh, I'm fine." Like I've got it all figured out, and I'll even say I did that my freshman year. I was like, "I'm after everything can happen." I came back to school Wednesday the day the fire happened. Everybody was checking on me. I was like, "I'm fine." Like wall, don't want to talk about it. My best friend and I didn't go to the same school, and so I didn't want to talk about it to anybody else. And it's like, "I'm fine. Just leave me alone." Mm -hmm. And so, I think that's that's a hard thing with students is that you just put this wall up of, like, you're only worried about what other people think about you. And that if somebody asks you how you're doing, you don't want to open up about it. Mm-hmm. And you don't even want to open up to your parents about it either. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just like, I'm fine. Like, and that's where it stops. It's kind of like with the conversation, like, if you haven't seen someone in a while, like, hey, how are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm good. How are you? And they're like, oh, I'm good. And that's it. Like, mm-hmm. there's no... Um, you never hear somebody say, like, hey, how are you doing? It's like, Hey, I'm really struggling. <laughs> and if somebody does do that, you're not prepared to go, Wait, what? Like Right. And so I think that that that's like going through school and like walking in the hallway. Like that's typically what it is, is that you're like dressing a certain way and you're also if somebody asks you how you are, you're saying, Oh, I'm fine because you don't want to you don't want to deal with the trauma that's going on in your life. You don't want to deal with with the stress of the homework that you're going to have later in the day or the stress that you're going to have in your football game against uh your rival rival team like whatever you just go oh I'm fine put that wall up and be done with it and so I I'm thankful to have like one of my friends who had has done like therapy and we did together and we were able to talk about that and stuff like that but it's not something i would say that young people know about or Mm, or would want to do like would want to open up to that because they just kind of want to go to school go do their things go to school dances if there are any or go to football games and like that just be it and that and like just surface level life like do the events of a high schooler but if they're stressed or if there's anything else they don't want to deal with it they just want to keep doing what they're doing Mm -hmm.
1: and that just be it But I have seen God use her because she's been in counseling and it'll be parents that come to me and say, hey, do you think Josie would feel comfortable saying something to my daughter about Mm -hmm. a similar situation or I'm really trying to convince my middle school or my high school to get into therapy, but they don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So when she steps out or her brother steps out or her little sister steps out Mm -hmm. and waves the white flag like, hey absolutely so and and we're trying to in our household really we talk about going to therapy Mm -hmm. I mention, hey I have a counseling appointment today I have a counseling appointment on Wednesday like I say it multiple times so they hear it she says it so the younger kids hear it so then when things come up it makes it okay for them to talk about it or bring it up yeah yes it's totally normal so she's getting ready to go to school and little sister struggling with her leaving for school that I mean she says she's my best friend. My best friend's about to leave for school. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. I said so she goes, I need you to call and make me an appointment. I need to learn how to cope with this. It's not going away. Like she's eleven. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what what? What'd you say? She goes, I need an appointment. I have to cope with this. It's not going to go away. And that was it. And I was like, okay, absolutely. We'll get you in. And so it makes it it makes it a part of life. Yeah. And so then hopefully she'll be able to talk to other middle school friends about mm-hmm. that would be like well no like we all go <laughs> we're all good yeah um that's beautiful so just being able to i think that's going to be a big thing for parents of students that are counseling is to be able to talk to other parents about it and then hopefully we can start to to break this stress and busyness mm-hmm. and being able to see in your in your child that there needs to be some intervention that you can't fix
2: and it's yeah. also oh, oh, sorry it's also like <clears throat> Like I was saying, it's about, like, other people thinking about, like, what they think about you. And if people, like, if you open up, like, oh, yeah, like, I go to therapy. It's like, whoa, like, what's wrong? Like, it's not just a, no, I go to therapy. Like, I need a process because my big sister's leaving for school. And that's that's a big struggle. Like, I, like that's my best friend. Everybody thinks, like, when you think about therapy, it's, like, like so big like uh, like suicidal or like super depressed or yeah Yeah. that you're insane and so whenever like you do bring up therapy it's like what? why are you going to therapy but also like with me going to therapy I have been happier and like one of like mom's favorite things to say is choose joy and there will people that come up to me hated that for so long oh we did hate it but I love it now I use it Um, but you'll have people come up to you and be like what you just lost your house your dad's in jail like how are you still functioning and it's a segue to talk about well this is what I do I go to therapy because I have to process it I can't just keep it all locked up and it also um by going into also Christian counseling and how like our counselors have done a great job of leading us and guiding us towards the Lord through it while also giving us advice and so it's a good segue to like talk about therapy and how I do EMDR and what it is and what like PTSD is and then also saying and having um a Christian counselor guide me to the Lord and like mom said getting scripture and all that because now like one of my favorite verses is Psalm 32 7 and it's you're in my hiding place you protect me from trouble and you surround me with songs of deliverance and like songs i that's how i that's how i cope and that's i have hills and valleys by tar and wells always in my head and mm-hmm. so it's a great like that's why the white flag yeah i do it because through that and through using therapy and my struggles i can spread the gospel to people who are struggling and wondering what do you have that i don't
0: have yeah mm-hmm. well it's such a beautiful way too like you said earlier jenny to get to keep yourself in perspective too you know like it's always a humbling Mm -hmm. experience to say, hey, I got to boast in my weaknesses, Yeah, right? Right? And you can't boast in your weaknesses when you're trying to not have any.
1: (laughs) Right. You
0: know, when you're trying to, I got to be everything, I got to do it. And I think that's, I mean, that's the real struggle with this generation of high schoolers and little kids is I hear you talk about that and I'm like, man, I was not that busy. No. You know, I was just playing out in the yard. I mean, I had some sports and some stuff I did, but I didn't Mm -hmm. feel any pressure. I actually look back on my childhood and go, oh, that was the time because I didn't have anything to do and no responsibility. But the teenagers I see and the people we see here, yeah, I mean, you guys are just maxed out with everything. It's like you're doing the adult world before you even become an adult, you know? And so you're so stressed out, you know, with things that, you know... I hate to say it, but aren't going to matter.
2: Right. Right. You know,
0: like you said, the AP classes and stuff. Like I asked somebody the other day, I was like, you know, it was a, a teenage girl and she was so stressed out about finishing and making all A's. And I said, do you think that making all these A's and all these grades are going to make you happier? You know, cause what's the end goal? Mm-hmm. Well, right. if I make good grades, then I get into college, then I get a good job and that's going to bring me money. So then I'll be happy.
1: Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, or the goal to just get into college as a sophomore. That's a huge goal. Oh yeah. Leaving high school and, I had a very uh, wise friend who has gone before me and has older kids that said, hey, really, really think about it before you let them take all the AP, all the dual enrollment. Like, regardless, college is going to happen. If it takes you four years, it takes you three years. Yes, it's less expensive if you can get that some of that knocked out in high school. But we we really wanted our kids to experience high school not college at high school right
2: and it was good not having a parent be like you have to take ap english and ap history and ap physics and whatever there was and like and i didn't take any of that junior i took one honors class junior Mm -hmm. year and junior year is always the year where the ap classes open up and the dual enrollment classes open up and so all the junior class is stressed out and i'm like even with COVID, like junior year was my favorite year <laughs> because I wasn't stressed out and I was able to enjoy high school and um, and I ended up getting a boyfriend in the middle of junior year. But like I was able to just enjoy it and be uh, start to become like who I am and who I want to be. And this year, like I did tell my parents, I was like, I want to do dual enrollment and I want to take this AP psychology course. And m- all my core classes end up being dual enrollment or AP. And so, great. I have some of those credits out of the way for this coming up school year. But But
0: I I don't think you did it as a reaction. No. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think there's so many kids in high school doing things as a reaction Mm -hmm. and a fear of what I have to have instead of kind of learning to figure it out like what do I need as a person and so maybe you're a kid who loves taking AP and we're not saying that those things are wrong. Go for
2: it if that's all for you but I didn't even end up taking the AP exam for psychology because I was like "Mm, I really enjoyed the class I think I learned stuff but we didn't go over a lot of like what would be on the AP exam and stuff like that and so I told my parents I was like I'm not gonna take it i don't i was like i think that if it's something that i do want to go into that i'm prepared and i could go into it but it's not something i think i could take this test and really be successful at it and it was good having parents that supported like okay like we're not we're not gonna make you take it if you don't think you're gonna do well it's a waste of money for us if you take (laughs) it and then you get a one on on it and so that was really good having parents like say it's okay not to take all those courses, or it's okay like if I was in dual enrollment and I was like, this is hard, I can't do Mm it. Like, it was okay, I could go to my parents and say, I need, I can't do this next semester, I need to drop doing dual enrollment next semester because it's too, it's It's too too hard. It's too much and it's too hard to do. And so it was really good knowing that I had those, that I had my mom and I had Phil to um, tell me, you don't have to do it but if you do we will help you as much as we can like we said like my dad has a bunch of psychology stuff and he was like i will help you through it if you need my help and and so that was good just having that access of like i'll be able to, i'll be there to help you i'll be there to support you and if you end up still not feeling comfortable with taking the exam at the end or taking a clep exam or whatever that's fine we're here to just make sure that you also enjoy your school year and you do what you think you need to do to be successful and i still think i'm prepared for school with only taking one ap course and not even taking the exam i'm more than ready for taking those classes at northwestern in a couple weeks i
0: think the the most important thing that i hear out of all this is that and what i want especially your age to listen to if they're they're questioning therapy if there's a parent listening to this and you're like should my kid be in therapy you know first maybe you should you know i think the modeling of as a parent of going look i'm not going to ask you to do something that i haven't done right and that being kind of normalized just as much as taking going to the doctor and getting a checkup just as much as taking vitamins exercising you know budgeting you know, there are these things that we have to do in life that when our kids see the, us doing them, it becomes natural mm-hmm. and normal. It's not this taboo thing. And right. it sounds like that's kind of what played out for you is that it was already a narrative that was written. And so it wasn't as complicated. Not yeah. It didn't make it easier. No. Like as far as pain and suffering, you're going to have to do the work. There's no, I think that's what people need to understand is there's no way to do it and limp through it and it just Mm -hmm. be not painful. Right. But that pain brings about so much peace and so much joy because God does such a beautiful work in it. So, uh, to kind of wrap up what, you know, tell us kind of what's birthed out of, um, the fire. And, you know, I mean, I know already that you opened the, the new shop over, you know, you're doing the renting and all that stuff. Right.
1: Um, the fire has just, has made us really realize that, as my husband said right after the fire, that people are greater than stuff. And when you lose all your stuff, what are you left with? And um, we were left with our community. We were left with our family. By by the grace of God, none of us were hurt or killed in that fire. Um, and that people are greater than stuff. And to just be able to see that and realize some of the things that we have wasted time on um, to to just not to not want have a desire to do that anymore mm-hmm. a different desire and a different different purpose now, and so God has used um, all the experiences, the spi- the fire especially just as a, a platform and an opportunity for us to speak out about counseling. Um, I think social media is it, good and it's bad. <laughs> And so, and that's another thing that the kids are dealing with these days oh, that yeah. we didn't have to deal with. I and I was thinking, I that. need to
0: have Josie and like one of her friends just come on and talk about like what it's like, what to, it's be high like to be high s- s- It's social media. I'll Blech. do it.
1: I'll do it. Yeah. Um. So, you know, God has opened a door for social media for me to be able to share, hey, this is what's going Like, this is, this is real life. Like, it's not all pretty, but this is, you know, these are the things that I remember. And, you know, a couple weeks ago I threw away pounds and pounds and pounds of paperwork. That I had hold on, I had held on to it. I didn't really know why. I kind of know why now, but I had held on to this, and I was like, Kyle, this is." I know I don't need it anymore. There's no need for it, and it was super freeing. But because, um, but because of a social media platform, I think I had six people reach out to me and say, "Hey, okay, so what is this therapy like? Do you (laughs) think?" And I was like, "I'm not a counselor. I, I just go." I was like, "I just go," but I know that if you're questioning it you need to find somebody that can work with you. Mm -hmm. And so it has opened up a door for us to easily talk about it because it was such a big trauma and crisis and everybody saw it and literally five o'clock news crisis. Um, It it just opened that all up. There was no hiding, there's no hiding that. You can't hide that. Mm -hmm. And so it opened up an opportunity for us to speak out about counseling and how much it has benefited our family Mm -hmm. and uh, Christian counseling especially. So yeah. it's, it's been a beautiful mess is all I can say. Yeah. A beautiful yeah. mess. Like mom
2: said, it's people over stuff was the quote that dad had thought about right after the fire. And, and it's absolutely right. And just, you know, raising that white flag and saying, yeah, I'm struggling and I'm going through this. And... Like mom said, five o'clock news. That was both of mine. That was <laughs> so in Thanksgiving that was Thanksgiving break and it was on oh, my birthday. It was oh, the 5, 5, o'clock five o'clock news of what happened. And it was people knowing and going, like, hey, I saw this. Like, are you okay? Like what is going on? And you had people like I had people in my school, people in my classes that like some people I didn't even talk to since like elementary school and be like, um, I saw this. I don't know what I can do because I don't get it but I'm here for you, and, like, um, and then the community of, like, people you don't really expect, like, uh, Bird had found out, see, Bird had found out that what had happened to the house, um, because a lot of, um, teachers, you know, knew my mom, and, like, one of my teachers actually, uh, helped me with, like, my hitting and stuff in softball, and she was actually my math teacher that year, and, uh, my class had raised $300 for us, and, It was like, it was community you didn't expect because there there were kids in there that did not like. You know, you always have those people that you just don't Mm -hmm. like. And there were kids that, like, I wasn't great friends or I thought they were annoying. And they pitched in, whether it was five bucks or there was a kid that pitched in like a hundred bucks. And that was, it was the community that was like, okay, God, I see what I you're see doing it. here mm-hmm. and yeah. being able to use
0: very humbling yeah
2: mm-hmm. and then using that therapy um i think actually helped one of my friends and now we kind of keep each other accountable like okay hey like uh she like talked about uh therapy with me the other day and i was like all right how i was like how you doing? doing she's like i'm okay i had a, like i had a session the other day and like i was working through some stuff that i didn't realize that um i needed to work through and so it was good kind of we kind of have that accountability with each other of uh, be like all right how you doing or do you need another one or mm-hmm. um whatever and so it was like it's a good showed me the community that god has provided me but then also allowed me to use what ha- the trauma that has happened um for other people that would ever would go through that in the future potentially or just say this is what i struggled with and go wow i'm struggling with some stuff too and be like Christian counseling and EMDR has helped me so much because I've been able to process it and have been uh, the Lord has been first through it. I've been mm. told to go to the Lord and run to the Lord, and Scripture has come through that.
0: Yeah, I, I would say, as a Christian counselor, <clears throat> what I, what what she mean, and what I know they both mean, and what I would want people to know is that when we say run to the Lord, what we mean is is run to truth, right? You know, because at the core of it. Is is the real pain is you feeling unloved, unworthy, not good enough, uniquely broken and then super insecure in your relationships Mm -hmm. and in the world. Right. And so if you if you don't believe you have worth and value that's intrinsic, if you don't believe there's a God who loves you and is for you and is making good out of that, then all the rest of the therapy, all of the books, all of the tools are not going to work. Yeah. they're gonna fall on their face because you're gonna end up without truth and so it's like when people say you need more Jesus it's like I get annoyed sometimes with that. it's like would I pull Jesus out of the air <laughs> yeah. you know like go to the word it's like well, that's true but people don't even know what that means right. yeah and it's like and yet what I've heard over and over is is Jesus is in us in community the Holy Spirit is living in us and so when we're with each other and we connect I mean this podcast people that listen it's that connection piece that really need mm-hmm. that is needed and For a lot of us, we've never had that with other people. And sometimes we've never had that in the church. Right. You know, we've been in Bible studies, we've been in things, but we've really never been vulnerable or seen somebody vulnerable because maybe they haven't done the work. Yeah, right. You know, and so what I always see is that it helps us to be such better discipleship makers, right? Because we make disciples when we can look at people and think, we would never say, I would never do that. And how can they do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Because when we have a lens, when we walk around our life going, I was talking at the sheriff's department in Bozier this morning, and I was saying, you know, when we walk around going, I don't understand why somebody would do that. Well, then we haven't done any work. Yeah. Because we should all understand our ability to sin and be broken because we've worked through why we are how we are. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we haven't done that, what Christ calls us that renewing our mind, Paul talks about, then we're projecting our own stuff on everybody else. Right. Instead of being able to be available for them and listen for a night. Yeah. Right. So if you make it about you and your pain, of course you can't hear somebody else. You're not going to be able to sit with their pain because you can't tolerate your own. Right. But therapy allows you to heal so that you can not just sit in it, but go and and be there with people. And that doesn't mean that you won't be in pain. Right. Right. I mean, as therapists, like we're human. Right. You know, when I have a kid talking about divorce, like you talking about that making me cry today because it's like, you know, no matter how far I've worked through it, that's always going to be part of my story and we empathize and understand it, right? And so, but we accept that suffering as Christians. We accept driving up to somebody's house going, okay, I know this is going to sting. I know this is going to be a little triggering. I might need 30 minutes afterwards, Mm -hmm. but it's worth it because there's a greater purpose Mm -hmm. in it. Right, right. Right, it's not, I'm going to be a Christian and I get to go through life never feeling any pain or suffering because God's good and Jesus is good and I know that so therefore I can go into any environment and I should be fine. Right? You know, it's like, no, that's not how Jesus Mm -mm. modeled it. Mm -mm. Jesus cried. He was emotional. He was afraid. He was in pain, you know, and and he still met with, you know, the lost and the hurting, but he hurt with them and and so I think y'all have painted that picture really, really beautifully in your story and in your testimony and I've known y'all for a long time and love you both so much. And I'm so thankful for your friendship and and your community and what you brought to our church and our community and our lives, you know, with our kids going through allergies and all the things y'all have done to serve us, um, in our house fires, you know, like that's, that's the way I think of it. You know, it's like going through the allergy stuff. That's why I just kept thinking in my head with Grady and his issues. It's like, it was the same way people showed up and cooked meals for us in the right Right. way. We could trust people. We could serve people. And, Mm -hmm. um, and yet now JC gets calls all the time for people with FPIs or people with food allergies. And she's able to go, let me talk you through this. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Let me, let me go ahead and intervene ahead of time because I Mm -hmm. know what they're going to get. Kind of like with you in the fire. I don't know if you know, but JC's house burned when she was like 17, I think. Yeah. Yeah, So her and her mom like lost their whole house, everything. They didn't have any clothes, you know, the same thing. So, um, I've heard it from a personal story Mm -hmm. too on her end. And, and so I remember when it happened for you guys and just, I was so proud of your testimony that you got in therapy. I know we had talked about it multiple different times, but um, it's just been really cool as a therapist to see you and a, and a friend and a Christian to see you guys do it the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, for the Holy Spirit to come in as a whole family and watch you guys like, you know, so hats off to you, Jenny <laughs> and, and Phil, because, no, you know, me. Yeah. Well, the Holy Spirit in yeah. you, right? Yeah. But sincerely, it's been so cool to watch the Holy Spirit in your family and just to see how much you guys have done because you know, look at your kids. Like, look at how thriving they are and, and you know, how much they're going to do for the Lord mm-hmm. despite your suffering and despite the right. hardships. And that makes it worth it. Right. You know, so. Which is
1: what was prayed for. Yeah. Day, you know, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I, I've just prayed for them to be able to use starting out at the very beginning with the divorce to um, bring God glory and honor and for God to be able to use that. And uh, it is it is evident in them, and it's such a blessing mm-hmm. to watch. It's a very humbling experience.
0: Definitely, well, we didn't give Phil any credit, but you know that guy—he's <laughs> oh, out there. Man, he's, that guy—he's the biggest-hearted. You know, doing so much amazing yeah. work on his end, and he is. He's I know he's been a pillar man. in you guys' life, and especially for you, Josie, and yeah. you know your brother and sisters, and you know. So, shout out to Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, thank y'all so much. Is there any closing thing you'd want to say to the community or people listening? I
1: would just like to say if. Fear is holding you back because people tend to be afraid to make that next step and to go into counseling and to seek help. That um, you you don't have to be a slave to the fear, for yeah. lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. It's it, the fear is not Christ. The fear um, and the chaos. You know we we serve a God that is not a God of chaos and not a God of fear. And though it's hard work, the reward is. The reward is great, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just um, just seek it out. Get over the fear part of it, and and take that first step. Yeah, yeah. and it's okay to struggle. Like it's okay this. Okay.
2: S- it's okay to throw in the white flag and say I'm not okay, and mm-hmm. that I need help. And that um, even if you don't end up going to counseling, just because it is it's scary. And mm-hmm. thinking like and saying oh yeah, I do go to counseling. Finding a church body is the, the the next thing i could say would come close to it mm-hmm. um if you're not going to go searching and like seeking the lord a church body is the next best best thing because i can tell you that like even uh we saw it in adults that were have already lived their life and then we've seen it in people that are younger than me in houston and then like the seniors um of my freshman year and i was i would just say it's okay to struggle and it's okay to admit to it um but if you are scared then find a church body that in a community that's gonna love on you and lead you to the lord
0: through it that's good Mm -hmm. yeah and if you're if you're out there and you've been to therapy um, and you haven't told your story uh, find ways to tell it Mm -hmm. you know don't be scared to to boast in the work you're doing because it's going to only lead to other people being vulnerable and You know, I I know that my own story of telling people stuff that like other people like, why are you saying Mm -hmm. that out loud? You know, but it's like it allows people to be open, you know, and it's a balance. You don't want to make it about you and you don't want to, you know, make their story about you and be that person that's like, well, let me tell you about my, you know, you know, right. Yeah. We don't want to do that. But but I think when you go to therapy, you learn how to do that appropriately, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and make their story about them and all that. So. Well, thank you all so much. This was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, If you're listening uh, still, subscribe, please. Like our Facebook page, you know, all the stuff that you know to do that people say on podcasts. Um, (laughs) God bless you and have a good week.